0: pig out on city council news this week it's the big recap of everything that happened over the summer but
1: mostly in the last two weeks and there was plenty with gondolas delayed for probably forever lrt delayed for what seems like forever and police funding only increasing forever i am troy i'm mac and we're speaking, speaking municipally, municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally,
0: episode 187. We are back from our summer break. It feels a little bit like we're getting sent back to school. I was not a very good student. I don't know about you, Mac, but definitely listening to city councilors drone on feels like the most boring aspects of school.
1: It seems like something I would have cut when I was in class, for sure.
0: Well, just like my performance in school, it's time to act like class clowns with the rapid fire segment.
1: Ridesharing company Lyft is lobbying the Alberta government to remove the requirement that their drivers hold a Class 4 license. Said the company in a statement, quote, We know that the Class 4 requirement doesn't increase driver knowledge of how to operate a vehicle safely. We've seen taxis on the road in Edmonton. We're just hoping fewer people have to pay the fees to upgrade their license.
0: The city is recruiting five individuals to serve on a task force to review the budget of the Office of the Councillors. The city is looking for a variety of candidates from a broad set of backgrounds, including those with financial services, budgeting, and business administrations backgrounds. At press time, the city has received 44,000 emailed applications, but they were all from John D. from Ward 3, friend of the podcast, and only contained the text in all
1: caps, I have an MBA. Edmonton is building Canada's largest rooftop solar array on top of the Edmonton Expo Center. But the project is not without controversy. The ERVCC, that is the Expo Rooftop Visual Conservation Coalition, has filed a lawsuit against the city alleging that the new array would obstruct the natural views of the roof of the Expo Center that all Edmontonians are entitled to. They want the city to consult better on the project and determine a better, more appropriate place for solar panels, like EPCOR's land in the River Valley. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community
0: supported. And this episode is brought to you by ATB. Looking for a way to give back? ATB Cares makes it easy for all Albertans to support the causes that they care about. Donate to your favorite charity through ATB Cares, and ATB will match 20% of every dollar donated to eligible Albertan charities. To learn more and donate, visit atbcares.com. Mac, I thought after the summer, we uh, could start fresh and talk about something that we haven't been talking about for all year or decades even. But City Council last week made sure that we would definitely talk about our favorite, favorite topic, which is increases to the Edmonton Police Service funding.
1: Yes, this came up with the item known as the Healthy Streets Operations Center. This is the proposed center, which maybe is going to have a physical space. Maybe not. Nobody's really clear on that just yet. It's the space that was brought up as part of the community safety and well-being funding actions, the things that went into the safety report that was returned to the province earlier in the summer, late in the spring. It's the thing that the police has said will help us you know, solve this crime problem facing Chinatown. And originally when it came up, there was a suggestion that maybe it would be about a $5 million budget. Then it was a suggestion of an $18 million budget. And where council ended up this week in a 10 to 3 vote is $15.2 million over two years to fund this hub. It's meant to act as a hub for police, city staff, peace officers, and firefighters. So a sort of consolidation of all of the different public services that might help address some of the challenges that are going on in Chinatown. But of that, $10.3 million is going to the police service. The notable irony of this, of course, is that the $10.3 million in
0: funding for this Healthy Streets Operation Center that's going to the police is coming from the Community Safety and Wellbeing Fund, which is this fund that you'll remember City Council established when they reduced the increase to the Edmonton Police Service budget. They diverted about $11 million away from the Edmonton Police Service and earmarked it for services that would divest us from policing. things you know, like social work, like crime prevention, like harm production, these sorts of services that we know work and can reduce the need for policing in our communities. And what did we do with basically all of that fund? We gave it back to the Edmonton Police Service to hire more officers.
1: Yeah, it was just December, not that long ago. $10.9 million ongoing decrease to the Edmonton Police Service budget. It was a very tight vote at the time, 8 to 5, but 10.9. We've now gone and returned 10.3 of that back to the Edmonton Police Service. And that 10.3 is for police constables primarily. There's a little bit for equipment, but it is for constables, which is particularly interesting because there's been a lot of criticism about the police ever since the horrible tragedy back in May that, you know, they've known that there's an issue with crime and safety in this part of our city, and yet they've not allocated enough or maybe any of the existing $400 million budget they have and the you know hundreds and hundreds of, of officers to that area. So instead of reallocating people to address a, a, a location that they know is in need of some additional support and assistance, they requested more funding to be able to do that. And I thought one of the big
0: pieces of brutal irony in this situation is proponents of this plan would say things like, You know, we're addressing an urgent need. Sure, you know, things like investing in harm reduction, investing in social supports, they're all good and nice, but we need to fix this situation right now. But this proposal that they're hiring new officers to staff this Healthy Streets Operation Center, if we truly wanted to do something right now, the Edmonton Police Service could reallocate resources right now. I'm a little bit baffled as to why... The police feels as if they're entitled to more money in this process when they haven't proven that the existing massive amount of money that we already send them is being used in a way that aligns with both city council's goals and the Edmonton Police Service's stated goals.
1: And why is it the Edmonton Police Service that is operating this or receiving the chunk of the the largest chunk of the money here, right? I think it speaks to one of the other issues about this debate at council which is that it's become greatly simplified. And, you know, I was criticized for not having enough nuance on Twitter of all places. But here's some nuance for you. Not everyone in Chinatown believes the same thing. Not everyone from Chinatown who identifies as a part of that community spoke at city council or contacted their city councilor requesting the same thing. And I think it was a huge simplification for city council to basically treat Chinatown as if it's this unified singular voice and to basically treat that as, oh, they really said we need to have attention toward crime and safety. And so therefore, what we must do is give them police officers. I thought that was really kind of disturbing, actually, the way that they did that. And then the other thing that council did, of course, to try to justify this, as you said, you know, this sort of idea that we have to do something now. And the reason that we have to do something now is because the root causes aren't being addressed, and those are all provincial. And so, at every opportunity in this discussion, councillors took the opportunity to basically blame the province for everything that's going on. You know, the mayor, uh, you know, essentially saying, "I don't know, understand why the province is abdicating their authority to, you know, fund this thing that is clearly within their jurisdiction." Maybe because they've never done that before. Like, why are they going to start all of a sudden? It's a very convenient couple of arguments for city council to make to try to justify what is a really, really questionable decision here.
0: I want to temper our comments here a little bit because, you know, like you said, council treating Chinatown as one homogenous blob was incorrect. So, too, is treating council as a homogenous blob incorrect. Uh, Council voted 10-3 in favor of this. So, you know, on balance, council not making a great decision here, and the vast supermajority of them n- being aligned with it. But there were three opposing voices.
1: Yes, three councillors uh, voted against this. Ashley Salvador, Michael Jans, and Aaron Rutherford. And Ashley Salvador, in particular, during the meeting, basically said, you know, I thought the intention of taking that money away from EPS was to take some pressure off of them, right? This idea that we divest from them a little bit so that they're, not everything falls to the plate of the police. But she says, I'm not really seeing that here. This doesn't seem like detasking. It actually seems like expansion. So as you say, three councillors voted against this. Even the other councillors who voted for it, you know, a a number of those 10 who voted for it, you know, did sort of do so with some trepidation, mainly saying, ah, I wish we didn't have to do this if only the province did their jobs kind of thing.
0: And I want to talk a little bit more about that provincial aspect because both you and I are completely clear. The province should be doing more, and the federal government, indeed, also should be doing more. But, like you said, neither order of government has really done so before. But if we accept the premise that you know, we know that harm reduction and we know that uh, divesting from policing and we know that giving social supports to people experiencing houselessness, that all of these things decrease the amount of money we spend on policing, the amount of money that we spend on uh, medicine and the justice system and health care, which are primarily provincial savings. If we accept that we know all of these things are true and we also accept that We have a conservative provincial government that loves to give Ralph bucks or electricity rebate surpluses back to the population when they have extra money in the coffers. Why doesn't the city of Edmonton just raise taxes 90 percent? fund all these things, <laughs> and then just wait for the Ralph Bucks to flow back down.
1: Couldn't that work? Oh, especially since we're not close to an election year, right? <laughs> I mean, if you're going to uh, raise taxes, now's the time to do it. And I guess we might be talking about that in a few weeks when we get into budget, but I hear you. Of course, it's facetious. And, you know,
0: I am cognizant of the fact that the city isn't really enfranchised to even set up a supervised consumption site. Even if we had the funding, I don't know that we are legally allowed to do so. It does seem a little bit frustrating to me to have city council continuing to complain about doing things outside of their jurisdiction because them's the brakes. Cities have always gotten a bad deal. We've always gotten the smallest share of tax dollars and had to do more with the absolute least. But these problems need to be solved. And it seems like only one order of a government even has an ambition to solve them. So maybe we should be asking them to do a little bit more. But we didn't disagree with everything that city council did this week. And in fact, one of their decisions I was quite happy to see go forward. And that was to accept a report for information. And this report was the Gondola Lease Agreement. They didn't propose a lease. They didn't give any land to Prairie Sky Gondola to pursue further geotechnical and consultation work. They said, we hear you, Prairie Sky Gondola.
1: That's a cool plan. Bye. And that effectively puts the brakes on the project for the moment. I have to say, Troy, I was pretty surprised by this vote, especially given the way the police vote went. I thought, you know, that Prairie Sky had a a much uh, stronger chance of success at council than what they ended up with, which was a 12 to 1 vote to receive it for information. Only Councillor Karen Principe voted against. And Prairie Sky had said that they would pay about $1.1 million a year to lease public property for this project. They said it would be 100% privately funded. They clarified something that you've been wondering about and reporting on, which is that it wouldn't be integrated with ETS. They said they'd get this up and running by 2026. You know, it seemed like there was a lot going for it that would make it easy for the sort of pro-business uh, folks on council or the ones that you know, want to be seen to be doing something iconic to to be able to say yes. So I was quite surprised by the 12 to 1 vote. And most of the discussion about why council voted uh, to just receive this, rather than allowing it to go ahead, centered around indigenous lands and reconciliation and the perhaps false consultation that Prairie Sky Gondola seemed to do with indigenous folks, you know, knowing that this would disturb burial grounds by the Rossdale power plant.
0: I thought the story of Prairie Sky Gondola was sort of exactly like you said, A story of a company that seemed to have everything going for them, seemed to have everything aligned for success, and then just proceeded to arrogantly score a series of own goals that tanked the whole project. And I think the best example of this is, you know, Perry Sky has always received criticism about these are the Rossdale lands. Anything that talks about Rossdale will have criticism from all sides because... It is such a historically sensitive piece of land, of course. But Prairie Sky, in the face of this criticism, did what I'm going to charitably call indigenous washing. Mm. I have to assume when they were developing this, they're like, oh my goodness, this is going to be the perfect thing. This is going to be so woke. Everyone's going to be on our side. And they released a press release saying that Prairie Sky has received a Cree name, and they extolled how aligned they were with the indigenous community because they had received this name in the naming ceremony. To most people, inclusive of Councillor Aaron Paquette, who really, really hammered home this point, it seemed very, very performative and to many people, deeply offensive that this gondola that has, by its own admission, hasn't had material extensive consultation with indigenous groups would receive this naming ceremony that many indigenous people haven't been able to receive themselves after the generational trauma that has happened for generations. It was a galling display and it's now deleted. Of course, there is no evidence on Prairie Guy's website or Twitter feed that this ever happened, but I think that it did happen
1: was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, I mean, maybe they need to learn how to use Facebook because it's still up there. But you're right; they they <laughs> removed it from uh, from everywhere else, and it's not the only thing they did here. Of course, you know the other sort of tokenization thing that uh, some people have criticized them for was that they had some indigenous folks from our community as you know vocal supporters, or at least to be on record supporting the project. So I'm thinking of Chief Billy Moran from you know Cree Nation, who a couple of years ago you know, served when this was was picking up steam, served as the grand chief of all Treaty 6, right? And just because he said he supports the project doesn't mean that all Indigenous people do. Back to the what we were saying in the previous item about, uh, you know, not treating everybody the same. And there's a little bit more nuance to it than that. So there's a series of things related to um, indigenous communities and indigenous peoples that they seem to not do well and seem, seem to not navigate well. And, you know, if council was looking for a way to ground this, a way to prevent this from going forward, that was sort of like served up to them on a silver platter. I have to admit,
0: I was a little bit frustrated that indigenous issues grounded the gondola, and not because they weren't legitimate. Of course, they entirely were. And of course, those issues alone are more than enough to ground the gondola. But I'm a little bit frustrated because I have seen so much discussion around this, that there's this narrative of, you know, Indigenous people in Edmonton are anti-progress. And this is another example of that. And it's so very frustrating to me because this gondola through and through, we've talked about it, on the technocratic merits of this project, there is, no material assets to it. There were so many reasons to kibosh this gondola. And the fact that, like you said, the entire council meeting became sort of about this one issue. It made it feel as if Prairie Sky did everything right, except this one thing wrong. And if only Mm. they could fix this one thing, this would have been perfect. And like, it breeds a little bit of resentment and a bit of us versus them. But that's just so, so not the case. I would have loved to see a bit more hammering home that this plan is bad. Just on its face, there are very few positive assets to this gondola plan. And we've covered this at length before. And I didn't see that from council, which I thought was a bit of a missed opportunity. And it felt even from the council side, there was a little bit of lightning rotting of the indigenous community as this is the way to stop it, like you said. But, you know, the gondola got stopped. So I think we're all winners. <laughs> well,
1: and and like you said, there's kind of two main implications of this that I've noticed so far. The first, you know, counselor Aaron Paquette has been sharing this online. You know, there's this really disturbing now narrative, people sending messages to him and other counselors, you know, basically saying, you know, what, it, there's burial grounds everywhere. Like this means we're not going to do any progress at conversation you were mentioning, right? This idea that if you're for reconciliation and indigenous, you're against progress or something, which is just absurd. So that's happening. And you know, people like Councillor Paquette are having to deal with that. The other thing is that because council didn't say, you know, we just took a step back and thought a gondola over the river valley, this is a dumb idea. (laughs) It was a crazy idea when it came forward. It's still a crazy idea now, even though there's a company and everything behind it, you know, that conversation was not had which is a bit concerning because then Jeffrey Hansen Carlson, who led this, he took it really well, right? He was in the media the the days following, basically saying, you know, I'm really proud of what we did. Maybe we need to go back to the Edmonton project again. You know, some other folks suggested maybe there's just slightly smaller and innovative ideas that could come forward. And so then it feels like maybe council missed an opportunity to say, just because it sounds innovative doesn't mean it's a good idea. (laughs) and uh we could have maybe put a stop to some of the other future crazy ideas that might come back if the edmonton project returns that being said though i was okay with the river valley saunas uh,
0: you know <laughs> i, I like i thought that sounded like fun i thought that sounded doable uh so you know if that is the ghost of the gondola the specter of the gondola gives us some hot saunas to chill out in in winter in the river valley okay
1: cool okay I guess okay, that could okay. work. <laughs> I have one other thing I wanted to mention, Troy. I feel like it's worth pointing out. Karen Principe, the sole person who uh, voted against receipt of information, wanted to see this go forward. The very next day was intentionally out in the news trying to you know make it sound as though she was on side with the uh, concerns about the indigenous lands. One of those, like, oh, I screwed up moments. (laughs) And uh, the public vote on this is not going to be kind to me if I don't do something about it right away.
0: Councillor Principe, of course, wasn't apologizing for this. She didn't go that far. That's in contrast to Councillor Michael Jans, who did apologize over a retreat he made. This was, of course, not the Michael Elliott complaint against Michael Jans that was dismissed out of hand that we covered in a previous episode. Michael Jans was facing a sanction hearing for another code of conduct violation, and this one over a retweet. And I want to talk a little bit about this because in the sanction hearing, city council was very careful to basically not acknowledge the content of the tweet, not really talk about why they were there. And I think it's important to set the context of why we spent several hours of city council, the integrity commissioner and administration's time dealing with the sanction hearing, because it's all quite innocuous. On May 29th of 2022, Michael Janz retweeted a tweet that said, quote, So this week, a co-worker got a $409 ticket for failing to stop his bike at a stop sign. It was at 7 a.m. in a residential area, and the roads were empty, except for the pig hiding in the bushes. The person who hit me with her car got a $47 ticket for failing to signal. Seems fair. Of course, the code of conduct violation comes from the word pig. This is calling police pigs. But of course, the content of this tweet is very on brand for Michael Janz. It's talking about cycling infrastructure. It's talking about fairness to people who aren't using cars. Some of the things that Michael Janz has been talking at length about in his climate change topics, he says he didn't see the word pig. And when he did, he unretweeted it and he issued an apology. This was the subject of the sanction hearing, which city council looked at and said, hmm, yeah, an apology does seem sufficient. And after every counselor got in their five minutes to opine about, yeah, this is fine. They ended with basically nothing happening. This was the entire Michael Jans sanction hearing this week. And Mac, I don't know if I'm cynical. I don't know if I'm just on side with this retweet. I don't know if I understand the internet better than the integrity commissioner, but this seems like
1: such a galling waste of everyone's time. For one thing, there was no chance, no chance they were going to do any sort of punishment given that nothing happened to Mike Nichol during his sanction hearings, right? For much worse things than uh, retweeting a tweet in the way that Jans did. The integrity commissioner didn't even have to recommend that he apologize. That sort of happened behind the scenes. Earlier this summer, he did post that apology. And so, you know, her report just basically didn't have a recommendation. It said that this has been dealt with. We don't need to do anything about it. But of course, the process is they go ahead and they make, they have a sanction hearing anyway. And as you said, councillors, you know, had their five minutes, got to a point about it, but didn't really do anything. And, you know, Michael Jans in the news recently said, well, what I did was wrong, right? I shouldn't Retweet. I shouldn't have retweeted that. You know, as you said, maybe he didn't see the word, maybe he did, whatever. But he pointed out the cost involved with this. And the integrity commissioner basically said it could be used as a way to harass or participate in conduct that would be offside the code. She wanted the counselors to keep retweets and, quote, things like that in check. Now, as you say, maybe we understand the tech a little bit better, but like, where does that, where does the line get drawn on that, right? If you watch a video and that gets recorded as activity, does that count? If you like something or you bookmark something or you DM it to someone, do those things matter? Like, I don't understand why the retweet itself is such a problematic thing. And and so it kind of did to me, seem like an incredible waste of time, not just from the point of view that clearly nobody on council thought that they should do anything about this, but that we've had to waste the time of the integrity commissioner talking about this. And still, council doesn't have anything around social media. Like the solution here would have been to, okay, let's do something new with social media. Let's agree to a new you know, social media code of conduct or set some guidelines or something like that. But they didn't want to do that in the past either, right? So I don't really know where we go from here. And of course, the result is actually a little bit
0: worse because as part of this, the integrity commissioner made a ruling and her ruling, which is absurd on its face, is that retweets are endorsements. Counselors bumped on this a little bit with, I believe it was Counselor Stevenson even asking sort of explicitly. So just to clarify, retweets are endorsements. This, of course, flies in contrast to the chief of the Edmonton police who specifically after getting caught retweeting a post from the United States saying that crime was a result of progressive policies, said retweets aren't endorsement. They're just sharers to have people educate themselves. Is there a different set of rules for the police chief versus counselors? I think everyone on Twitter understands that there's bios that say retweets are not endorsements, nor do they endorse the opinions of my employer. Mm -hmm. I think it's very dangerous that council still doesn't have a social media policy and yet is having social media rules dictated by the integrity commissioner because now suddenly it is a code of conduct violation to retweet something. And I still hold that what he retweeted wasn't very bad. You know, it is not respectful discourse to call police officers' pigs. I'll say that. But even Counselor Paquette, during his five minutes opining on this, said something along the lines of, he doesn't know how many people will have been hurt by this retweet and how it's impossible to know if Michael Jans's apology was enough to repair the harm caused by that hurt. No one got hurt by this tweet. Right. Let's stop pretending that this is something that matters. This is a political process perpetrated by the police because they don't like Michael Jans holding them accountable. And it's, we know this because Michael Elliott has told us that with his actions several times. The fact that we're treating these complaints seriously when they're so patently on their face political really does a disservice to the process. And it highlights once again, Andrew Nack said it, during the sanction hearing that he's so glad that they had this discussion, had this process, because it shows that the code of conduct is working in contrast to with Mike Nickel, how the code of conduct wasn't working. The fact is (laughs) the code of conduct is not working. And this sanction hearing shows exactly why it does not work. And as just a funny little highlight, one reason why it Definitely isn't working during Michael Jans's sanction hearing. He was deputy mayor. So when so he wanted to speak, <laughs> he had to pass the chair to Michael Jans. So Michael Jans chaired his own punishment discussion. It's just all on its face. Which, absurd.
1: you know, seems like that shouldn't have been allowed and the clerks would have had some other way to address that. That is very strange. And just to underline how serious, fake serious counsel treated this uh, counselor, Tim Carmel, made an effort ahead of time to tweet that he had a medical appointment and that's why he wouldn't be there because his absence would have been conspicuous in a, in a sanction hearing, right? I mean, it's just absurd, you're right, at the, the level of seriousness that this was given when it is clearly, as you say, a political process. There's
0: definitely something that uh, could have been treated with more seriousness, uh, in my opinion, which is the Valley Line is no longer opening this summer. We have no idea when it will open because there is no timeline being issued after Transad, the private contractor who is building the Valley Line Southeast, has found cracks in 18 of the 44 raised concrete piers. They have, at this point, no guidance on how long it will take to diagnose the issue nor repair
1: the issue. But what we do know is that Valley Line will not open this year. It was July, kind of mid-July, that city inspectors first discovered these cracks. And we didn't find out about it until, you know, early sort of mid-August once council was, was back. And that's because we're getting close to the end of summer, which they had long said was when they were going, well, not long said, most recently said was when they were going to open the line and make it operational.
0: Even worse, this report came out on August 10th. On August 9th, TransEd was tweeting Valley Line Progress going great will open this summer. Yeah. Someone should have told the social media guy, hey, hey, Phil, stop tweeting. But <laughs> n- is it? were they actively trying to hide it? Did they just not communicate it through the organization? Top to down, it looks like incompetence from the outside.
1: Yeah, I think it's just a, a miscommunication based on incompetence for sure. You know, the TransEd CEO said, we deeply regret the inconvenience this unfortunate and regretful delay may bring. And, you know, who else tweeted about it was basically every city councilor. I saw so many of them make their own individual statements about this, uh, wanting to say that, you know, because of the contract, we're not on the hook for any cost. But of course, it's terrible because it's been delayed and it doesn't take into account all of the knock on effects that this has as a result, right? We were tipped off that this was going to be the case because the union, the transit union, had said that, you know, a temporary bus route that was supposed to you know, work alongside this uh, until this line was operational had been made permanent. So they expected that there was going to be a delay because they wouldn't have changed that bus route from a temporary thing to a more permanent thing if they anticipated that the train was going to open. So, I mean, it's not really a surprise, right? We're here in August 2022, long after this train line was supposed to be open. Another delay is just sort of like, well, that was to be expected. You know, We wouldn't have betted on it uh, opening by the end of the summer anyway, I don't think, Troy. But all of those statements and all of the regret and all of the uh, lamenting the inconvenience does nothing to solve the problem. And one of the criticisms about this project is that perhaps it's because it's a P3, a public-private partnership. Even Tim Cartmel said that P3s are fundamentally flawed when it comes to public transportation, but he didn't say that it was the reason for this. He thinks there's some other reason for this. And the mayor has called for a review of how the city pursues P3 projects, but these are things that are going to take a really long time. And, you know, we're already moving forward on the on the West LRT line and the extension to, you know, south from Century Park. Like, are those projects going to face the same kind of issues that we're seeing here? Well, of course, West Valley Line is a P3. There is debate and
0: perhaps a councilor listening might argue that it's not truly a P3 because it's only a design build finance uh, the uh, marigold partners will not operate valley line west right. but it's still a p3 it, you know transed is not operating the line yet if transed didn't have an operate component of the p3 we would still be in the exact situation that we are right now so as far as i'm concerned valley line west is also a p3 we are not quite learning from our mistakes so trains not going to open by the end of the year Hazard a guess, Troy, as to when it might. <laughs> I hate to be wrong on the podcast, but Mac, if I'm being completely
1: honest, I would
0: say November of twenty three.
1: Yeah. I mean, I have no idea what's involved in solving this problem. Do they have to rip out those concrete pillars and rebuild them? Like this could be a this could be a pretty significant delay. I think there's basically two ways that this goes. One is, you know, the remediation work is
0: quite extensive. Uh they have to rip out concrete pillars and like jack up Davies station as they remove concrete. And that's, that's time sensitive process. Or, you know, maybe there is some type of concrete mix or epoxy. I'm not a concrete person. I don't understand what these specific things are. But you know, there's some thing that they're able to do. And they're like, you know, our engineers have reviewed this, we can fix this in a couple of weeks, and we're good to go. At which point, I think, rightly, the inspectors and the city would be hmm, this reeks of maybe someone trying to cover their tracks. And of course, we've seen the catastrophic failure in Ottawa of when we ignore cracks on LRT bridges. Mm. So I think if it is the case where there's a simple fix, the evaluation process and the inspection process will be quite belabored and quite extensive just because of fear of another Ottawa. So... I think no matter how you shake it, it's gonna be a while. Well, our LRT contracts aren't the only thing that are privatized. Power in Alberta is privatized. And that means you get to choose who you buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from, and you can choose Park Power.
1: Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta offers internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. Park Power has low overhead, which in turn allows them to offer low competitive rates. You can reach out for a no-obligation comparison by emailing estimates at parkpower.ca. And if you decide to switch, it's easy. It's really just a change to your billing, and you can feel good knowing that you are helping to give back to our communities with your utilities bills. You can learn more at parkpower.ca. And
0: Mac, we did it. We're back from summer. We recorded another episode. It's not so bad going back to school. Hey, Troy? You know, Mac, I I think this podcast wasn't so bad and I think what that highlights is that it's different from school. We're, we're the fun after-school <laughs> camp. And we hope you come join us in the fun cabin for late-night partying next week. Until then, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, speaking Municipally. municipally.